Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on social media. We're not only on Facebook and YouTube, we're across the spectrum so you can find us at frontline.tv and help us out wherever you can like subscribe share do all that fun stuff and today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by a friend of the show austin Roos, and we're going to be talking about his new book under siege no finer time to be a faithful catholic and for those of you out, who, out there who are not familiar with austin he has spent 24 years as a writer and christian leader garnering awards from a wide variety of Catholic organizations for his work fighting the culture of death. That's why he's on the front line with Joe and Joe. He's provided commentary for media outlets such as EWTN and American Family Radio and is a three-time author. He is the co-founder of the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast and is a longtime president of the UN-accredited Center for Family and Human Rights, CFAM, headquartered in Washington, D.C. Austin is a happily married man and is the father of two daughters. Now, this is what Dr. Scott Hahn had to say about Austin's book, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic. Quote, the great temptation is to turn from the current troubles and long for the past, but that's not the way of Abraham or Moses or Augustine or Colby, nor is it the way of this book, which offers us a clear path forward. Read it and fulfill God's call to Joshua to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Close quote. Austin Ruse, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. I, I really wish that Scott had written this book instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, <laughs> one of the things I will say... He's a better writer and a clearer thinker, and he could have done a much better job than I did. But you know uh, what? It was given. The task was given to me, so I did it. All right, and and that's awesome. And one thing I would say, um, I haven't read the book yet, Austin. I intend to, but just from the title alone, one of the things that Joe and I say that we need to do, uh, wherever we're speaking, whether it's writing a book, whether it's being at the front line with Joe and Joe, we need to encourage and inspire. I'm inspired by the title alone. No finer time to be a faithful Catholic when a lot of people are talking about going into the woods or, you know, not to be critical or Benedict options or things like this. You're saying, no, 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 we're under siege, but this is the best time to be a faithful Catholic. And that's what we're going to talk about today here on the Veritas Catholic Network, Austin. Thanks for joining us. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. We're going to start with a prayer, Austin, because all good things start with a prayer, and this is a good thing. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. St. Dominic, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. Before we get into the book, tell our audience a little bit about your organization, CFAM. That's the Center for Family and Human Rights in Washington, D.C. What's the mission statement? Tell everybody where they could find you, what it's all about. See, we founded CFAM in the summer of 1997 uh, after the, you know, the big mega conferences, UN conferences, the one on population and development in Cairo in 1994 and the Beijing Women's Conference in 1995. Uh, 
hundreds of regular people answered the call of John Paul II, who said, please come and help me at Cairo and Beijing to defend the right to life um, and uh, proper understanding of the family and human sexuality and much else. And like I said, hundreds of people answered. It became clear that there needed to be an office, a full-time office of, of laymen at the UN doing this every single day. So we answered that call. We answered that request. It was the Holy See made that request. So we answered that request uh, in the summer of 97. The heart of our mission is assisting UN delegations in negotiating documents to make sure that abortion doesn't become an internationally recognized human right, that the family's not redefined, uh, that sexual orientation and gender identity don't become new categories of non-discrimination in international law. Uh, so we work very closely at, you know, at any one time with 20 or 30 delegations, assisting them in understanding all the tricks of language that the left uh, uses on them at the UN and, and uh, also, you know, giving them courage and giving them support and, get, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we've been doing this since uh, the summer of 97. The second half of our mission is, is coming on shows like this and telling people what's really going on at the UN. So one half of our mission is, is assisting at the UN. The other half is telling the world about what really goes on there. That's outstanding. Austin, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about you is at one time you were a Washington liberal. You had little faith. Now here you are. You're storming the machine gun nest, as Joe Pasillo always likes to say. I mean, you're out there um, fighting the fight. How did that change happen? Well, you know, uh, it, it, it took a good long while. I mean, I, I got the call to become a Catholic when I was uh, as an undergraduate at the University of Missouri sometime in the late 80s. Uh, and I remember the moment um, uh, an assistant professor was denigrating religion. And at that moment, it struck me that this snot-nosed kid was denigrating something that had occupied the greatest minds of all time. And so at that moment, I thought, you know, I think I have to, you know, I, I was a fallen away Methodist, really, and that uh, I needed to uh, engage religion and there was no other choice for me from Jump Street uh, than the Catholic Church. And so from then on, it was really a question of furnishing my mind, you know, finding all the right books, which was hard to do in those days. Um, uh, and, you know, just, just finding my way in. I, I, I knew at that time uh, that I couldn't knock just uh, on any rectory door because I knew that I might not get the straight stuff. Um, so somehow I was protected from going down wrong roads, eventually discovered, you know, the right books and, and the right priests and, uh, and then entered the church, um, on Pearl Harbor day, 1985. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, my, my political conversion kind of ran in tandem with that. Uh, you know, while I was in college, I was offered a job uh, with Teddy Kennedy's political machine in Washington, D.C., and I almost took it. Uh, but then, I don't know, Divine Providence steered me into the magazine business and then my conversion and, and all sorts of stuff. So it was uh, I, I would say that my political my my political conversion had a lot to do with international affairs. And I remember the book that influenced me the most, oddly, by a Democrat, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan's book about his time at the UN. Um, you know, it, 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 it made me realize that the liberals were wrong about international affairs. And that was the thing that really led me to the conservative wing of American politics. Um, and oddly enough, then some years later, it was trying to combine both religion and politics that where I discovered uh, this job, you know, that somebody in Canada had raised a bunch of money and said, I met them casually after mass one day. And they said, we're looking for somebody to run a pro-life group at the UN. And, I, <laughs> and I, my joke is that I heard bells ringing uh, because it, it, it combined my, my newfound faith and uh, my interest in international affairs. And I've never looked back. One thing I like um, amongst the things you said, uh, Austin Ruse is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello on the Veritas Catholic Network. One thing I'm glad you said, Austin, is you said conservative rather than Republican. I think it's yeah. a problem a lot of the times is that, you know, we, Joe and I get criticized on social media and the like because, well, Republican, no, 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 but people don't understand. The political version is for a, a conversion is from liberalism 
or even beyond. Nowadays, it's certainly beyond liberalism. Daniel Patrick Moynihan would have a very difficult time in the Democrat Party of 2021. I think you might agree with me on that. Okay. You know, I I I, I would. Uh, although he very he he ultimately was a disappointment. But you know, when I all the years I lived in New York, I was a registered conservative, and and down here in Virginia, you know, you don't register by party. So I mean, I've never been a registered Republican. I, I was raised a Democrat. I was chairman of the Young Democrats of St. Charles County, Missouri. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a political conservative, uh, and I'm no kind of liberal. No, no, exactly. And I think that's an important distinction to make because a lot of times, like I said, people think in terms of when they think politics, they think party, but it's more of a mindset. Like there's a liberal mindset, there's a, a worldview, there's a conservative worldview. So I'm glad you made that distinction. In doing um, Austin Rue's research for, uh, for the book, okay, and the book, one more time for the audience, is Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Catholic, written by Austin Rue, who's joining us here today. Um we read this, we came across this quote, you come away from this groundbreaking book with the same, uh, with, the, with the sense that Roos knows the enemy better than the enemy knows himself. I really love for you to talk about that for our listeners. Boy, who said that? Yo, who's that? Joe pulled it up. To be uh, honest with you, it was just some of the various like quotes out there when I was like putting together like the draft for the interview. Yeah. I thought it was oh. awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know if that's really the case, um, but, but I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I have been up close and personal with uh, the sexual left now for at least a quarter of a century, um, you know, uh, as a member and, and then as an opponent. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I know it quite well. I mean, the first chapter of the book is called I Am Lazarus, Come From the Dead, Come Back to Tell You All, I Shall Tell You All. That's a line from uh, T.S. Eliot. Um, and I've spent a good many years uh, looking into the abyss and reporting on what I have found. And in the first chapter of the book, I, I, I don't go into hoary detail uh, in explaining what I have seen, but I, I, I tell things that people have not heard before, for instance. Um, there's a company called MindGeek. Um, I would bet that neither of you have ever heard of MindGeek. I mean, maybe I talked about MindGeek last time I was on. It's the, it's the company that invented streaming pornography. Mm -hmm. And their family of websites has more traffic than uh, Amazon. So I, I, I tell stories like that. I, t I talk about the effect that pornography has had on the sexual habits of young people, um, uh, uh, which is horrific. Um, so, you know, it, it's like I, I feel like I know them from years of study like an anthropologist. Well, you know, Austin, I'll be honest. I, we interview a lot of people, and God works in mysterious ways. We interviewed a gentleman, John Pridmore. He was uh, an enforcer. Uh, in the East End of London. He's a gangster. I mean, <laughs> I, I, like, no exaggeration. Um, so, I mean, like, it's amazing how, uh, even in my own life, I can't say that I was enforcer for the mob, but I was definitely a party guy. I mean, off the hook. So, I mean, like, God, I think, you know, prepares us for certain things in our life and calls certain people. It's about answering the call. Clearly, you did. I mean, you know, Joe and I, you know, weren't choir boys, but we're trying our best now. And that's what it's all about. People have to know. I mean, there's always time for change, and then God could use you. Clearly, he's using you. One of the things, Austin, I like that you said is that uh, you mentioned the sexual left. That's that's very interesting. Now, this goes back to the original question that I that I asked you about knowing the enemy better than they know. They don't realize, just using that as an example, and I want to highlight this and maybe get a comment uh, from you for, uh, from, for our audience. Sexual, like, here's a perfect example of trying to let people know exactly what's going on. They're sexually liberated. Do they really know? Do they know how enslaved they actually are? Do, do, do let's say people who are sexually liberated who are who bought into all the lies the, of pornography abortion sexual liberation the whole nine these are slaves austin and when you tell that to people they they because I, I have okay in conversation they 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 really don't know what to say because quite frankly pornography as you mentioned and, and the whole sexual liberation movement actually enslaves people would you agree with that well sure and you know and and they know it too because shame is a really nearly impossible thing to get around and to get over. So in the morning, um, I mean, I, I used to, you know, go out all night long in New York City. And I, I remember 
getting home uh, with the sun was rising and people were jogging and you could hear the, uh, the garbage trucks. And that overwhelming feeling of sadness, like I have wasted another night. So, you know, all of the people that are caught up in that kind of behavior have those moments of sadness and realization that what they're doing is not exactly right. You cannot get around it. You cannot completely destroy your conscience. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I, I think that they know that they're enslaved. I mean, it's it's like alcoholics, you know, that, you know, they'll say, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll try and quit. And then they find that they can't. Um, all of these things are you know, even homosexuality, homosexuality, who told me this? Groeschel. He said it's essentially a bad habit, you know, and habits are hard to break. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it's like even those guys feel a sense of shame about the things that they do. You can't get around it. Well, it's the hound of heaven. God loves everybody. And basically it's about change. I mean, ultimately, you know, we're one confession away, all of us all baptized Catholics, one confession away. But let's get back to the book. Your book is clearly an authoritative call to arms. You brilliantly brilliantly argue that there is no finer time to be a faithful Catholic. Many people, Austin, would disagree with that. We see it on social media. You're on social media. Joe and I are on social media. And, we prominent, and prominent people, too. Take a negative. Of, and I love what you say because, listen, the power of God, one man who stands up against the world speaking the truth can change the world. And that one man was Jesus. Christ and saints have done it throughout the centuries. Talk to that a little bit. Why are these people wrong? Well, you know, in the book, I talk about certain dispositions of personality that prevent people from living in the present moment. You know, in, in, in the Hail Mary, we asked her to pray for us when? Now. And at the hour of our death. These are the two moments that we have to be concerned about. We cannot live overly in the past and regret this and and long for the past like many people do nor can we worry overly about the future we have to be in, involved in the present moment who god puts in front puts in front of us right now um and uh the tasks that he has given us to do uh many people live their lives and i write about this in the book three dispositions of personality people who live in fear like roger Ayer. Um, you know, Rod left the church over over fear. He uh, he um, he uh, left New York City uh, because of fear. Um, uh, and I think that he preaches fear to his readers. You know, Rod thought that the, the, we were going to be subsistence farming after Y2K. He thought we were going to be, I literally thought we were going to be subsistence farming um, after peak oil. He thought we were going to be subsistence farming right now because of the pandemic. So he's one of these guys, you know, in the New Yorker cartoon, you know, somebody, a guy walking down the street with a sandwich board saying the end is near. For, for Rod, the end is always near. And, and this can have the effect of it can energize people i I report on the exact same things that rod does it can energize you but it can also freeze people like like lot's wife so 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 some people live in fear some people live in nostalgia you know i wish i could have lived in another time a golden age the 50s the middle ages um and and they while away their their days longing for better times and there are people who live their lives in distraction. That's probably the biggest problem these days. These little iPhones, video games, television, sports, whatever. And they miss the present moment. Um, I, I argue that this is the finest time to be a, a faithful Catholic is the title. Faithful is very important. Um, uh, precisely because of all the problems around us. Um, you know, I, we look back upon certain generations with great admiration. Uh, the, civil, the Civil War generation, the, um, the, the, the World War II generation, the founding generation. Why? Because they overcame great difficulties. We are that generation. We are surrounded by darkness. And who did he send? He sent the lame likes of the two of you and the likes of me. Amen. <laughs> I love it. No, absolutely. absolutely. I love it. It's like people don't realize, you know, you're, you're, you're longing for the past or, you know, yes, I would like a restoration of sanity in our world, in our church, um, in others. But we, like you said, I forgot who said it, but said it great. And it's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. God chose you to be to be at this moment in history. You didn't choose yourself to be here. Fight the battle. Did the people, at, did the soldiers at Lepanto, did they think of their mind that they go, that let me go, let me go hide 
uh, you know, from the barbarians invading right. Europe or, right, or, at, or at Vienna. No, they stood up and they fought. Well, right. we have an enemy. The enemy's not at Lepanto or Vienna anymore. The enemy is in the universities, in the media, in the government. Okay? Yeah. But we still have to fight. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and it is an honor to it's it's an honor to be in this fight with, with such worthy opponents. You know, I often say hats off to those guys for all that they have accomplished. It is astounding. Just look at the gay issue. In in a matter of 20 years, they swept the board. That's amazing. They turned all the major cultural, uh, academic, media institutions to their side, the Supreme Court, the President of the United States. It's astounding what those guys, which who amounted to more than one, less than 1.6% of the population, this is what they have been able to accomplish. Hats off to them. And now it's our turn to defend his creation. Even And there's more of us than there are of them anyway. They, they hold all the they they sit in the sniper's nest. They have they they own the high ground, but that doesn't mean that we lose. You know, one of the images that I use in the book is uh, is from Full Metal Jacket. I know you guys know Full Metal Jacket, and sure. and mm -hmm. like me, you probably love it. But you know, there's that scene where where um, the platoon leader, his guys, they're 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 pinned down behind a wall in the bat in the city of Way, and um, cowboy who's running the platoon because the platoon leader has been shot, um, says we have to hunker down here. He says we cannot refuse to accept the situation. I used to believe that because until I saw the movie again and I realized what that meant was he's asking them to accept the situation that we are pinned down by the sniper and we have to stay behind this wall. But what did Animal Mother do? Animal Mother strapped on his guns, leaped over the wall and charged the sniper's nest. We do not have to accept the situation. In fact, we have to reject the situation. And I, I would say defense is important, but in our defense of what it is that we, we, we are seeking to defend, we also have to remember, I think it would be a good idea for conservative, not just conservative Catholics, but all those people of goodwill who agree with us on most of these things, okay, um, we need to start going on the offensive. Because we need to start taking the battle to them, which we spend a little bit too much time, I think, defending Austin. Um, and for those of you just joining us, we have Austin Ruse. We're talking about... Uh, we're talking about Austin's new book, uh, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Catholic. You're here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We need to start challenging them to have to defend what we consider to be, and I think you would agree, basically indefensible positions that they, they take. I, I mean, but, you the know, one glaring example that comes to mind right off the bat is the issue of baby killing. Okay, yeah. we allow them to change our language, Austin, and the way we talk about something so obviously evil. We allow them to, to, to force the, their language down our throats. We need to start making them have to defend, let's say, you, in, using the example of abortion, this intrinsic evil. Speak to that a little bit about going on the offensive. Well, first of all, I, I would start this way. I, I would say that the culture war is a war of aggression by the, by the left, principally the sexual left, on the Christian people. Um, it started a long time ago. It started in the, you know, in the, in the French Revolution, uh, but it got started really in this United, these United States in the, in the early 60s, beginning with the school prayer and the Bible reading decisions in 1962 and 1963. So this is a defensive war. Um, which means it's a just war, uh, but that doesn't mean that we have to be on defense all the time. And in 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 and a way to go on offense, I, you know, the pro-life movement is so amazing. It's broad and deep and vast. And clever pro-lifers have gone into the state legislatures and passed hundreds of bills that have hampered abortion clinics, you know, requiring abortionists to have visiting privileges at the local hospital, which is hard for them to get, requiring uh, abortion clinics to have the same standards as surgical clinics, hard and expensive for them to do, that has had the effect of closing abortion clinics. I think there's no more abortion clinics in Missouri. There's no more abortion clinics in, in Mississippi, for instance. Mm. So so this is a way, and, and there's no bigger object in in uh, the culture war than Roe v. Wade because it's a Supreme Court decision. So we have to work under the under under Roe v. Wade. But even under Roe v. Wade, pro-lifers have find a found a way to go on offense. So and and look at the transgender thing. Uh, there are people now in state legislatures uh, passing bills uh, to defend uh, women's sports for mm -hmm. uh, women. So there are lots of ways to go on offense, even though we are in a defensive war.
Amen, brother. Amen. And, and I think we should hammer hammer that home. Austin, your book clearly states that each of us is called specifically to battle in this culture. Um, you also provide in the book a roadmap for fighting the major challenges that American Christians now face. Talk a little bit about that roadmap, because I think a lot of people out there may say like, well, what can I do? I think you could do a lot. I'm interested in your comments. I have a few of my own. Well, you know, uh, people get overwhelmed. Uh, you know, one of the other person, you know, the temptations it, it, besides fear, distraction, and uh, nostalgia is self-sufficiency and and the view that, gosh, if I can't fix this by myself, I'm not even going to try. Um, and and so we're. I, I say that all of us have been given tasks probably since uh, the creation of the world. And, and, and these tasks are right in front of us. And so, so here, here's what people can do. They feel overwhelmed. They, they can't go out front on, this, on the LGBT issue because they're going to lose their jobs. Go down to the school board and watch what happens. Just do that. And then tell your friends what you see. Go down to the school board and shake the hand of the lone school board guy who's standing up for the good, the true, and the beautiful. Um, find the local pro-life uh, pregnancy center and send them a check every single month. Even if it's 10 bucks a month, send it to them. Find, find the group that's fighting pornography. Find the group that's in the state legislature uh, speaking out on behalf of, of families. Um, send money to you guys for, for, for your radio apostolate. Send money to my organization for our work at the international level. There are hundreds of ways that people can give money. You ought to uh, let your friends and family know where you stand on these issues, even the difficult issues like LGBT. Uh, you don't have to charge the sniper's nest, but you're all, we're all called to do something. And the image that I use in the book is that there are halos hanging from the lowest branches of the trees. All you need to do is reach up and grab one. You know, the world is in such a sorry state. You can make the world a better place by doing very little. But we're all called to that. That 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 collective effort, Austin, is is so important to emphasize to people. But the one word that needs to be emphasized, whether it's on a large scale or or even a, a smaller scale, is the need to acknowledge that we must sacrifice something. Whether it's Joe and I, just to give you an example, Austin, we we Joe and I started a men's rosary that goes to different churches first Saturday of the month. Now, what does it take for us? Do we have to drive there? It usually takes about 15, 20 minutes. Spend about 20, 10 minutes greeting the guys. We spend 20 minutes playing, praying to our Lord Jesus Christ through the powerful intercession of his blessed mother. We talk for another 10 minutes with the boys and we decide where we're gonna go next month. That is, the, that's not a pat ourselves on the back type thing, but I'll tell you one thing, that one small action that takes Joe and I about an hour the first Saturday of the month, I can't. I I know that there is an effect. I don't have the mind of God, so I can't say exactly what it is. But I know that's something that's important and good and true and beautiful for people to do. My point in bringing it up, Austin, is we have to start sacrificing something, whether it's a little bit of money, a little bit of time, if we want to start. Because if we sit on that fence and think, "Oh, well, this doesn't really affect me," then then we're really helping the other side win this war. We need to sacrifice a little bit. And I agree with both of you. Austin, everything you said, a lot of that is grassroots stuff. And the grassroots organizations, if in my view, are the best organizations, hand to hand. But what I would also say to people out there is, are you going to confession regularly? Are you praying the rosary every day? And are you receiving the Eucharist weekly? I'll tell you this, if you do that, if we had every Catholic in America that did those three things, we'd shake the foundations of this world because those things bear fruit. They bear all the things that we just talked about. Catholics have to sanctify themselves. We sanctify ourselves. We're ready for this battle and we will win it. We have about you know, I, I, I think that's exactly right. You know, you know, one of the I, I don't want to tell you what I'm doing, but I'll, I'll tell you, there's some guys that I know who fast every Friday. Amen. Amen. Isn't that Amen. remarkable? So fasting every Friday is 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 actually a big sacrifice. Oh, and, yes, um, it is. And we have Austin. We're going to we're going to be taking a break. OK, right. uh, for, for just a minute. But um, I think what's important and also important to remember to remind people this is not you know a preachy thing. Remind people. Fasting and abstinence are two different things. Not eating meat, let's say, on Wednesday and Friday, like old school, the way people used to, okay? But we have to remember, we have to fast. It's not enough to say I'm not eating meat. We actually have to fast. Jesus said, if you want to get rid of this demon, okay, prayer is not enough. 
You have to fast. But real quick, Austin, uh, we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to The front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. And man, are we in the breach with Austin Roos. His new book, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Catholic. Let's repeat that. No Finer Time to Be a Catholic is a book that we all need to go out and purchase and read. Uh, so with that, stick around. We're just going to take a short break. And remember to find, follow Joe and I on Facebook, YouTube, all the social media stuff. We'll talk to you in a couple, min- uh, couple minutes. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Rosanello, and we are in the breach with Austin Roos, and we are discussing his new book, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Catholic. Uh, so we want to thank you for joining us, and with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Joe Rosanello. Austin, I mean, I'll be honest with you. The scary thing to me is this. I mean, you have everyday, like, Democrats. Now, I, I, I can't even call them Democrats, to be honest with you, because, I mean, we grew up in Southern Burn County, New Jersey. I grew up with blue-collar people. My dad was a barber. I know people that were in the union. I still know people that were in the union. Hudson County Democrats. These people, to be honest with you, can't even relate to what we're seeing right now. You have regular people. We all work with them. We're on LinkedIn with them. We go to parties with them. These are the quote-unquote tolerant people. I cannot understand how these people, if you ask me, these are educated people, they're intelligent people, are embracing this woke cancel culture. Please give me your perspective on it because you see it as well as I see it. And frankly, I'm flabbergasted that our society has embraced it. Well, you know, I, I do talk about wokeism as a, at one of the denominations in what I call the new established church. I argue in the book that there is an established church that uh, started with the school prayer and uh, Bible reading uh, de- uh, decisions in 1962. I can go into much greater detail. But, I mean, one of the denominations in the new church is, is this wokeness uh, and cancel culture. There's, there's no question about that. Uh, I mean, people really are afraid of losing their jobs if, if they say something on social media. A, a friend of mine is in real estate, and the, the National Association of Realtors recently uh, announced that if any of their members say anything that can be de- 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 deemed as hate speech, uh, any time, even in their private lives, they can lose their membership in the association, which would cripple anybody who's an, who's a, an agent or a broker. Um, so people live in dread fear of the wokesters and the cancel culture people coming for them. Uh, myself, uh, I, I could never get a job in business these days uh, because all you need to do is Google me and see what see the things that I've written about and the positions that I have taken. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, people do live in dread fear of that. There's no question. And woke is part of the new denomination of the of the new state church. You know, Sam, I want to just talk to that because, I mean, Austin, I have four children. My wife's pregnant with number five. You know, clearly I have a long way to go. I trust God. I'm going to be honest with you. God, I take God at his word. He will take care of me. I do my part. He'll do his part. And be damned. In, in all honesty, that's how I look at it. I work in corporate America. And you know something? If they sack me, I'll get another job. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have to answer to the managing director when I die. I have to answer to God. And God said very clearly, if you deny me here on earth, I'll deny you in heaven. Also, let me ask you a question on cancel culture. Uh, And it's along the lines of what Joe's saying also. Okay. Why are we as, again, conservative people, okay, why are we allowing, again, corporations when, like you said, there's more of us than there are of them? There are. Okay. Why, how is it that we're allowing corporations to get away with this and we're continuing to put money in their pockets without doing our own form of boycotting and say, look, you start canceling. I don't really care if you're an atheist or not. I don't care if you're a liberal or not. I don't care if you're gay or not. If you disagree with me, I'm not going to call your employer and tell them to fire you. See, Joe and I and you, we're men. 
Okay, we know how to make an argument and have a debate. I don't have to hurt you in your life. Why are we allowing this, Austin? What's your view on that? You know, I I don't know. Um, you know, the, the guys in the corporate C-suites really never hear from the likes of us. Um, and, and, and that's really the problem, it is that consumer boycotts really don't work. What, what works is, you know, the CEO's wife hearing something nasty at a cocktail party. Um, uh, I, that's what works. It, it, it's the CEOs who want to be you know, liked at the, at the country club, um, you know, and, it, and it's people in corporate, you know, the thing about it, I wrote a column now five years ago called corporations are the enemy. Um, and it's, it, it's mostly over the LGBT issue. You know, the, the, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the corporate index put out by the human rights campaign, which is a great big anti-Christian LGBT group. Mm -hmm. They raise 50, $60 million a year. And they rate corporations on how, quote, gay and LGBT friendly they are. Um, and every, every company that's on the Fortune 500 has a 100% rating. Um, so <laughs> I'm sorry, Austin. It, it, you know, years, a, a few years ago, uh, I, uh, some employees at J.P. Morgan Chase got in touch with me because they, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase sent around a global survey uh, of all their employees, and one of the questions was, are you LGBT or an ally? And these poor guys didn't know how to answer the question, you know, because uh, what if they say no? What's going to happen to them? Are, are they going to be re-educated? Are they going to have to, are, are they going to lose promotion? Are they going to be fired? So, you know, I don't think that the, the C-suites in corporations hear from um, they're consumers. And you know what? We, we just swallow it. You know, on the end cap at my local grocery store was, you know, the Kellogg's uh, Fruit Loops in rainbow colors. Uh, how do you fight back against that? I, what, what, what we need, here's what we need. I'll tell you what we need. When I was in um, advertising, when I was in New York City in the advertising business, I sold advertising. We had a thing called the Advertising Red Book, the Marketing Red Book, two, two separate things. In the Marketing Red Book, you had the direct dial of the marketing director of every single product pub, you know, uh, produced in the United States. I don't think the Red Book exists anymore, but I bet it's online. And we need 100,000 people calling that guy and complaining. I think that would make a difference. Direct action uh, uh, with regard to the, these types of things, direct action to the head of marketing, to the CEO. Um, that's the problem. Just saying I'm not going to buy, you know, Kellogg's products, you know, maybe, probably doesn't have that big of an impact. Mm. Uh, but calling the CEO or calling the marketing director and complaining directly, tying up their phone lines, I think that would have an impact. Uh, you know who would, I'm gonna hand it over to Joe. We're gonna keep it keep it moving. Austin Ruse is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Priscillo, Joe Rissinello, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. You know who does that well, Austin? Is Bill Donahue over at the Catholic League. He'll publish somebody's email. I've done it. I've taken the five seconds it takes to, to, to email that person. You know what? And that guy, can we always get better results? Of course, again, that dude gets results for the reasons you're saying. He publishes their phone number. He publishes their email. Says, call the CEO of Disney. Call the CEO. Call that politician. Email this state representative somewhere in, 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 uh, in Illinois. Okay. And let him know what you think. And he gets results. Joe, Joe Rosinello, I'm handing it over to you. Also, I heard you say this in an interview. We do not live in a pluralistic society because if we did, we would win every debate. Please expand on that statement. I can remember Father Carapi talking about abortion, and he would be like, you wouldn't last 10 minutes with me on that subject of abortion. And he's right, because it's the truth. Talk a little bit about that statement you made. I think it'll give people confidence. We, we um, have grown up believing that we live in a pluralistic society where Catholic, Protestant, Jew, atheist are equal before each other and equal before the law. But what has happened over the last 50 or 60 years is the institution of this that I call an established church. And I'm going to take you through my argument. 
1962 was the school prayer decision in New York State. I don't know if you're aware that that prayer, which was fairly anodyne, you know, Almighty God, please send your protection over our country, our leaders, our, our teachers, our parents, ourselves. That was kind of it. Written by a Protestant minister, Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi. It was upheld by 13 judges before it got to the Supreme Court, and then it was declared unconstitutional. So, um, and then after that happened, there was an outcry from coast to coast against the decision. 49 governors spoke out against the decision. That was when you started to see these bumper stickers that said, impeach Earl Warren. Um, so it, 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 there was not a hue and cry to get rid of school prayer. The next year, they got rid of Bible reading in school. Now, I'm going to put, put aside the substance of those two decisions and talk about one part of the Bible reading decision. It said that the object and purpose of government has to be secular. Now, from the founding of our country until that moment, there was a healthy debate in this country about who we are as a people. On one side are those who would say, we are a providential people. This is a providential land. You can see the hand of God in everything that we do and that this has to be expressed everywhere in the public square and in the schools. On the other side of the debate were uh, secularists who said, there's no role for religion in the public square. We are a purely secular people. So in that decision of 1963, the Supreme Court decided against the providentialists. Now, what happened after that? A couple of years later, they made contraception a constitutional right, first for marrieds and then for singles. A few years after that came Roe v. Wade that imposed abortion on the country. A few years after that came two decisions on sodomy, making sodomy a constitutional human right, a constitutional right. And following that in 2015 was Obergefell imposing same-sex marriage. All of these decisions have had the effect of establishing a church in this country such that now, instead of reading the Bible in the local uh, public school, what do they hear? They hear new religious dogmas such as sex is assigned at birth, such as I can be possibly born in the wrong body, such as boys can become girls. These are faith claims, not anything based in science. So this is the new established church. And all these people that, you know, that they say are leaving the Christian denominations and they're becoming nothing. No, man, they're becoming something, just not Christian. They're becoming new age. They're becoming, they're, they're joining this, the, the, this massive wellness movement, which is a trillion dollar business. They're not becoming nothing. They're becoming something else. Now, I think that it's so important to say that theirs is a religion. All of them. That's why I hate, again, we let them get away with the language, Austin, uh, we, when it, with the secularists, the atheists. Yours is a religion, too. It's based on beliefs that are not backed up by science whatsoever. And you, and, you know, everything you said I would agree with. And what I would say to people is this. Is it working? Like, you tell a tree by the fruit it bears. I learned this the hard way in life. Is it working? And the answer is no. You could, you don't have to look far either. Look out your window. Look at the people in your family. Look at the people you grew up with. Look at the people you went to college with. I would qualify what Joe Resinello is saying, Austin, just in, in, in one way. Depending on your perspective, a sane person would say, no, it's not working. But I'm sorry. I don't care how this sounds. We're not dealing with very rational people. And they probably think in their minds, no, Joe. It's working but, like a but, charm. But what I would you, say you, is, you know what I mean? But when you've been divorced three times, when you have substance issues, I mean, like, again, this is bad fruit from bad behavior. To be honest with you, you don't have to go to Yale to put that together. And that's what I'm seeing. Right? You know what they you know what they say? They say it's it's like those guys you know years ago maybe even now who say well you know communism has never really been tried. All we need to do is try it and it'll work. So the sexual revolutionaries say well, you know it's never been tried. All we need is a little bit more explicit sex ed in the schools. All we need is a little bit more freedom to look at pornography. All we need is a little bit more no-fault divorce, and then we will finally be free. And see, this was the argument in the French Revolution. The church and the family were the enemy, and we have to be, do away with them because they are, they are the jailers of our pleasure.
and we have to do away with them. And once we do away with them, we will finally be free and we will finally be happy. But what we know is that they are simply leading themselves into uh, into servitude, um, into another kind of jail. Right. So, yeah. It's, it's, well, yeah, well, think, think, think about it. Think about, like, take New Jersey, and then we'll move on. But take New Jersey just as an example, Austin Roos. Um, your typical person in the suburbs, let's say in Essex County, New Jersey, complains about taxes, complains about the education system, complains about the property taxes, complains about a whole host of things, okay? They will continue to vote for the person. And, yes, this is, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about suburban, mostly women. They'll continue to vote for the person in New Jersey who keeps abortion legal for their daughter, okay, then vote in their own interest, which usually would mean voting for someone who's conservative, who's going to be against abortion. And then these people convince themselves that they're actually free. So like when they, when they act in this way, and again, it's irrational, but let's, let's move on for everybody who's just joining us. We have Austin Roos at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We're discussing his fabulous new book, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Catholic. Austin, you do, you do tremendous work at the UN. Okay, let's switch gears to the UN, your organization CFAM. Um, you, uh, you, you, we want you to comment because you're at the front lines on the international front. How will, uh, the, how will the Biden regime impact the UN, specifically speaking about Africa where Catholicism is thriving? Well, we just recently, uh, I think last week, issued a report on Joe Biden and the first 100 days as he has affected um, international social and legal policy. And he is doing a complete about face uh, from all the things that we achieved during the Trump administration. Uh, I mean, and by the way, Trump was exponentially better than George Bush on the life issue. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, they, they are actively supporting to... Here's the thing. American seculars, American liberals, the sexual left are seeking to export the sexual revolution and impose the sexual revolution on every man, woman, and child in the world. And this doddering old fool, uh, Joe Biden, who does not know his own mind, uh, is leading the charge. The United States has been the leader in exporting UN-style family planning. Uh, and has been, with the European Union, the leader in exporting abortion on demand. So, uh, so Joe Biden is, is going to follow the path of Barack Obama. He's going to follow the path of, of Bill Clinton. Um, and by the way, he's going to be worse than both of them when it comes to these issues. And he already is. Yeah. I mean, I mean Joe, Joe Rosanello mentioned bad fruit. I mean, you're seeing it with this guy. Getting back uh, quickly to uh, Under Siege, No Better Time to Be a Catholic. Austin Roos, you brilliantly identify the vulnerabilities of leftists who appear obviously so dominant today. And you also pinpoint Catholicism's, Catholicism's most, po most potent sources of resistance. Talk about that for our audience, please. Uh, uh, boy, you caught me a little bit flat-footed. Um, restate the question, will you? You, um, you, you, you identify the vulnerabilities of the left, and you also pinpoint uh, Catholicism's most potent sources of resistance. So if you would talk well, about— Well, you know, the, the, the vulnerabilities of the left is, is the fact that all of this is a lie. You know, I mean, just look at um, the LG, look at the transgender issue. It is a flat-out lie. Uh, boys cannot be girls. Girls cannot be boys. You're never born in the wrong body. All of this is built on a lie. And, and, and the reason that we know that it's such a profound lie is because they require us to believe it. And by the way, this is the imposition of a religious faith on other people. It is compelled speech. In New York City, as you know, um, you, you can, a business can be fined $250,000 for the persistent, for someone persistently misgendering somebody in their business. So one of their vulnerabilities is that they know that it is a lie. Otherwise, why would they work so hard to impose it on the reluctant? That is one. So, so one of the bit, one of the big vulnerabilities of the other side is that 
it's all built on a lie. I mean, abortion was built on a lie. There was no rape. Um, you know, the, the, the unborn child is not just an, a clump of tissues. They, they have to lie about all of these things in order to impose them upon people. So, so I would say that their biggest vulnerability is that it's all built on a lie. And, and what is the advantage of the Catholic Church? And by the way, let me just jump in and digress for one second. The title is, is it's not No Finer Time to Be a Catholic. It's No Finer Time to Be a Faithful, faithful Catholic. Yeah. You know, because, because Joe Biden is a Catholic. But, you know, quite frankly, it's a terrible time for him to be a Catholic uh, because, you know, he, he buys into the lies of the culture. Um, so, so the great strength of the Catholic Church is that we know what the truth is. And we have never caved in. I mean, e even though we wish the bishops and the priests would do much more, even though we may be, you know, uh, disappointed in, in our bishops, the church has never changed its teaching on abortion. The church has never changed its teaching on, on human sexuality or on marriage. The church has never changed her teaching on contraception. Right. I mean, that is phenomenal. Yes. Um, you know, so so if, if the, the church is not exactly where we want it to be. But my golly, the church has stood strong on its central teachings against a tsunami of opposition. You know who said that, interestingly enough? Um, Charles Krauthammer. Uh, before he died, and Glenn Beck. Krauthammer was Jewish. Glenn Beck what, was born Catholic and is now a Mormon. Both of them, at different times, but both of them said, in a nutshell, abortion is still an issue because of the Catholic Church. And they were yes. saying it in a, in, a, in, a, in a positive way, that abortion will end in America. At some point, we don't know. But it remained an issue because of the Catholic Church. And it's important for people to know, you're right, Austin, a lot of people bellyache, oh, about this person in the church, or that bishop didn't do what he said. And again, there's a lot There's a lot of frustration to go around, but the bottom line is this, as you said, okay, the church has not changed. Paul, Humanae Vitae is still the magisterial teaching of the church. Okay? That's right. The United you, States Conference of Catholic Bishops, okay, they st has still not reversed its position on abortion as the preeminent issue. These are things people have to remember. One of, the remarkable, one of the remarkable things that I discovered in my research for the book is that Alexis de Tocqueville, in his book, Democracy in America, said the following. He said, the American people will eventually have to decide between pantheism and Catholicism. He didn't say pantheism and Christianity. He said pantheism and Catholicism. Isn't that remarkable? Even de Tocqueville knew the truths of the Catholic faith, and even knew that the Protestant churches were have a tendency to disintegrate because they have stepped away from the truth. So anyway, that 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 is the coolest tidbit that I uncovered in my research for the book. I think I, it, it's it's so fascinating. I've never ever heard that before. That the Tocqueville yeah. said that, and. I guess, and that's a conversation, Austin, for another time when you come back to the front line with Joe and Joe. That's a great conversation because that seems to be the road we're on. It was, but I'm going to hand it over to Joe. But I would also comment on Catholicism's most potent source of resistance is grace. Look at the church's history and who God has called to meet challenges. Joan of Arc was a 17-year-old girl. She was illiterate. She was illiterate. And she faced down the English army. Bernadette Subaru was illiterate. And she was poorer than poor. And there is one of the greatest churches on the earth on the spot where she found that water. This is who God uses. We have to avail ourselves to this grace. We have everything. And we sadly don't utilize it. I wanted to just say that because you know something? You said something in the other segment, Austin, that resonated with me. Look who he's using. He's using me, and I'm nobody. I am nobody, and I'll be the first person to say it. And he can. He could use anybody. You know, uh, we're watching, uh, you know, the, uh, the Chosen, which I highly recommend. Uh, uh, I highly recommend it. I've, I found it to be so moving. 
But you know that the, the apostles weren't the A team. You know what I mean? <laughs> they weren't Mr. They, T. <laughs> they they didn't go to the Harvard of their day. They didn't they didn't work at the Google of their day. I mean Matthew did. <laughs> Matthew did. He was working for the Google of that of the day. Fair but enough. Most of them weren't. And neither are we. And look what they did. And look what we can do. That's right. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the chosen because I'm very skeptical. I'm not going to lie, Austin. Um, I'm very skeptical a lot of times about let's say productions that are that are that we see out there that are made by evangelicals or, or Protestants. Um, I, very, I went into it open-minded. I'm, I'm impressed with Chosen, I, I, I got to say. But we only have about five more minutes, and we want to sneak in and one more meaty question for Austin Roos joining Joe and Joe at the front line with Joe and Joe. We had a great interview with Bill Donahue of the Catholic League, and we talked about the Equality Act. A lot of that conversation revolved around Javier Becerra. Obviously, we all know that he was confirmed by the Senate. He's now the Secretary of Health and Human Services. God help us all. I mean, how is that going to boil down to the average Catholic in the pew? Because I don't think a lot of people are paying attention. Becerra has no business being there. I can't even believe he got confirmed with some of the stuff that he pulled in California. Can you comment on that? Well, I mean, you know, the, the administration is full of, uh, of people like him. You know, Joe, Joe Biden is, is like him. Uh, Kamala Harris is, is like him. You know, it's full of people who have no business being there and, you know, who are enemies of the church. So it, it, his, his appointment is, is not in the least surprising to me um, because the administration is full. You know, even during the Trump administration, it took us three years to, to, uh, to achieve certain things with regard to UN negotiations and international pro-life and pro-family issues because there was such resistance from uh, the, the deep state, from the permanent bureaucracy. He undid things in a hundred days, what it took us three years to achieve. Um, it, it, so, you know, it, it's not just Becerra, it's the entire bureaucracy. It's chock full of sexual revolutionaries. I mean, there are good people there too, but for the most part, you know, they're, they're sexual revolutionaries, they're leftists, and they have an agenda and they know how to execute. You know, even when we, you know, had good people in good jobs, we were overwhelmed by their knowledge and by their ability to slow walk things and to work the bureaucracy against us. Um, so, you know, Becerra's, you know, one of many, one of many. You know, yeah. I love when you talked about the title of your book, It's Faithful Catholic. You know, it comes down to American Catholicism. Sadly, I don't think we've been catechized correctly. And sadly, I don't think we take our faith serious. We just don't. And we have to. We have to. And I'll tell you this. This is what I think. I think these times are going to separate the sheep from the goats. We are going to have to fight for our religion. And those who do, I think will shine to those who don't. And they're going to change because they will see a life that is starkly different from the life that they're living. Austin, we have about two minutes left. Along the lines of what Joe's saying, you, you say in the book that the best days are ahead of us if we stick to the plan to rebuild Christendom. Let's uh, spend the next couple minutes talking about maybe a couple of practical things we should be doing from your view. Well, I, I just want, you know, one of the books that I relied upon, I relied, relied upon many books and many thinkers in writing this book, and including, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to a Mormon law professor from the University of San Diego who wrote a book called Pagans and Christians in the City, the Culture War from the Tiber to the Potomac. Um, and, and he made the argument that that we are having the exact same argument in the public square today that they had in the second century in Rome, um, it, it, even over the funding of religious items in the public square. It's the, 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 the federal, the government funding of religion. It's this, exactly the same argument. It's amazing. But I, I, and one of the books that I relied upon was The Myth of the Dying Church by Glenn Stanton, uh, who works for Focus on the Family. You know that the church that is surviving and growing is the Orthodox Church, whether it's you know among evangelicals or among Catholics or whatever. It is the Orthodox that are growing. 
Uh, when I was converting in 1985, I did not know what to read, and none of the Catholics I knew knew what to tell me what, what to read because they were uncatechized. I eventually discovered Ignatius Press. Now we've got how many? A dozen Catholic publishers? Look at the revival of Catholic higher education. Look at Christendom. Look at Belmont Abbey College. Look at um, uh, Steubenville. Look at the University of Dallas. And on and on and on and on and on. Look at all the, the Catholic publications. Um, look at the seminaries that are bulging uh, 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 with, um, um, with faithful young priests. Look at, look at Groeschel's guys. Look at the Sisters of Life. Look at the National Dominicans. So w w when you look around, you will see great health and growth among the Orthodox in the Catholic Church and in the, in the uh, Protestant ecclesial communities. So, so I would say that we're in much better shape than people think that we are. And we just have to keep plugging away. Like Austin, I said, we're going to have to leave it there. Austin Roos, the book is under siege. No finer time to be a faithful Catholic. Austin, where can people buy the book? You know, the book was number one in Catholic new releases for a month at Amazon. So go to Amazon and buy it. It, it was number one in Christian apologetics new releases for a couple of weeks. So people can buy it directly from Sophia Institute Press. They can also buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, many, many places. Awesome. Under siege, no finer time to be a faithful Catholic. The author is Austin Roos, who we want to thank once again for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. And thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for coming uh, with us today at the front line on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. For all Veritas content, please be sure to download our Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. And please, until they shut us down, follow Joe and I, Facebook and YouTube, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.